Hey, welcome to the No Decaf Podcast with your host and tech startup owner, Adam Araujo. No Decaf is about the journey that non-technical and technical founders face, the issues that they encounter along the way, and how to avoid or fix them. So go grab some No Decaf and welcome to the show. All right, we are live. So hello to all two listeners listening to this podcast. Welcome to another edition of the No Decaf Podcast, where we have no other beverage than No Decaf. Anyway, we have Stephanie Harris on on the uh, on the podcast with us today, and we are going to go over how to grow your SaaS revenue without selling any software, which is a pretty interesting concept. To when you really just look at it on paper, you're like, well, then. How do you do it? And that's what Stephanie's Stephanie's going to go over. She is the CEO and owner of Partner Centric, which she's going to get into a little bit about, you know, what what that is and and how she started it, what her journey's been and kind of the problems that she's went through and and how she solved them, but even more so how to help other companies, other software companies grow and scale their company without needing to necessarily sell SaaS right away, right? Maybe you have an MVP and you're trying to bootstrap it. And you need to get some other form of funding. So she's going to tell us a little bit more about that. But first, uh, Stephanie, thank you for for uh, coming on the show and um, tell us a little bit more about what Partner Century does, and, and I guess go on from there. Awesome! Thanks for having me, Adam. I really appreciate it. Um, so Partner Centric is a performance marketing agency. It is uh, started first and foremost as a business that consulted with brands with other businesses on ways to grow their performance marketing, also known as affiliate marketing uh, channel. So um, really strategic relationship building services around the different types of websites that are out there who want to get paid on a commission by hosting these trackable affiliate links that a brand might um, provide to that website. And this happens at scale across thousands and thousands of websites like this. Um, and finding those right audiences to have a, an offer and um, and then basically, you know, monetize those offers on those different websites. And, and my business did that in a strategic way for, you know, close to 100 brands um, at a time. And so that's really the core competency that Partner Centric had and still has. Um, my entrepreneurial journey, like you started to mention, uh, a little bit more unorthodox than probably a lot of other people. So I was the first employee of a business that was called Chef Partner Centric. Um, and um, there were two brothers who owned that business. And I kind of worked my way up and through all the different roles and then became the CEO of that business in 2015. And then... Um, kind of proposed purchasing both of them out of the business. Um, and that acquisition was completed in 2017. So I, I fully bought them out and sort of became an, a, an owner and entrepreneur in that process in 2017. And that's really at that point when the longer entrepreneurial journey started, where I started investing a lot of personal money and business money into technology and, and, this offshoot business and really started that tech journey from there. Nice. So, so essentially, um, I mean, I mean, it all kind of happened. I, I, I don't, was it your plan 
I guess, to to essentially buy them out or to become the CEO or or no? Was it just kind of it, it formed it formed on its own to where it was like, oh, I'm here, but now I can get here, but now I can get here, and now now you're here, right? So I guess what was the journey like on that? So I really the business was always a hundred percent remote for me. I always worked from home. I loved the ability to be able to do that and have kids and start to raise my kids and have that flexibility. And when I became CEO, I had a learning curve from leading a business that already had 40 plus employees, but I didn't have the ownership responsibilities, but with the lack of ownership responsibilities, I also had the lack of ultimate decision-making power. And that's a very difficult thing when you have a vision and you want to make resource decisions and you want to execute on those things, but either the owners have a different idea or that's not what their thought is for what they want to do with the business. And, you know, that was a difficult thing to navigate. And I think it became time, you know, in 2017 where I sort of was like, I I really want to grow this business that I've helped build, but I want to do it as the owner. And so thankfully we came to that, mutually satisfying conclusion and the the new direction that the larger business took from that point onward was a result of my feeling I wanted to as the leader of that business take it in a different direction but maybe wasn't able to sure so so you were a savage you're like I want it done this way but I don't have any ownership I guess or uh no voting rights in this or enough voting rights to get what I want. So either A, I'm going to buy you out, or B, we're going to do it my way. And that's essentially kind of how it started, right? Right. And it's a little bit daunting. Um, so now you have the benefit of a going concern as a business owner. You know that business in and out, and it brings in income. So from in terms of like building something from scratch, you have that safety net of, a core business helping to fund the new business. Yeah. Also needing to put a lot of, you know, for me, a lot of personal capital into the new entity Um, and making a lot of mistakes along the way of like what I thought I needed to do to give it legitimacy and to get it in the right hands and what actually I should have been doing at that time. Sure. I mean, that's like, that's like having a house across the street that's blocking out the sun because you're trying to sunbathe. And you're like, you know what? I'm going to buy that house and just knock it down because it's blocking the sun. <laughs> so so obviously you need a capital, right? Which which your job as a CEO is to make sure you never run out of that stuff, right? It's never run out of money. So, And that's what we're here to talk about today. So obviously you poured a lot of your own personal capital in there, but but... but Tell us a little bit more about the topic of what you know today's uh, topic is, which is essentially how to grow your SaaS revenue without selling SaaS. It's a really interesting thing um, that I'm interested in hearing more about. So, um, like I said, I did a lot of things the wrong way um, in 2017. Tried to build something in a vacuum and then put it out to market without getting like appropriate market feedback and. A lot of that is also similar to something that we've talked about before we were on air, which is this idea of like, I don't want to give this great idea away to people until it's ready. And so you kind of hold it too close to the chest and then you don't get the market feedback that you need. 
Uh, so you develop something where you think it has one use case and it actually has another. And so that is what happened uh, when, when the pandemic started back in March. I realized this standalone business that we had really needed to be part of this core business of partner centric, but we gave it as an open access to all of our partner centric clients, the technology um, for free open access, use it as you want. Let's create more value and stickiness when it's a very tough time. And we did that for three months and learned a lot and actually had a lot of people using it. It didn't cost us anything because we already had built some of these things out from like MDP, MVP, whatever. Right. We're trying to charge people to use it. We were like, let's learn. Yeah. Learn how they use it. Right. Right. Yeah. To get that data. feedback, And then we had people saying like, well, where do I sign to keep continuing to use it past July? Right. And that's when the revenue was, that's when we were able to really start building that revenue while still iterating on the tools. So, so I guess with partner centric, right? Um, because with with a lot of people starting out their company, to your point, they they do hold it close to the chest, right? And it's like um, you, you go to let's say you're trying to break into the uh, pest control industry, and you're asking these pest control people these like super elusive questions to get an answer to a question that you really want to ask them. You're like, I don't want to really ask them because it may pick up an idea and they may end up doing it. And it's just, it's just crazy. Cause it's like to go through, they don't even have an MVP built or have the knowledge of even how to go about building an MVP. And they're just worried about someone stealing their idea. So, um, you know, which is funny because I had a guy who I was talking to the other day and he was like, Oh, I have this great idea don't take it from me. I'm like, don't, I'm not going to take it from you. Um, and he told me about it. And then like literally 24 hours later, I got an ad on Facebook about literally his idea. Someone had already built it. Someone had already built it. I, I screenshot, I sent it to him. I said, there you go. Execution always wins. So, mm-hmm. but, but, you know, execution isn't necessarily, um, you know, all that's cracked up to be. I mean, you can be extremely, your product can work extremely well, but obviously it may not be, the main revenue generating thing that you do at that point, and especially with COVID hitting, you got to pivot. There's a lot of companies out there who had a revenue model or a business model, and they had to completely flip it on its side and be like, well, what do I do now? And you had a lot of people downselling, upselling, adding on services. You know, maybe you built, um, maybe you built fountains before, but no one's buying fountains, but everyone's buying pools and you're still working with concrete. The only difference is you're building a bigger fountain. Right. And so maybe now you add pools to your, uh, your, your list of services. And so I feel like that's kind of what partner centric is doing is it's allowing you to add more things to your arsenal to, to build your revenue. Am I right? Right. So the original thought, and it's so funny, just before I forget this thought, um, the thing that you think people are going to be worried about is not the thing they care about. There's like another use case or something they see in it. And they're like, oh, wait, that's a problem, which you as the developer or the builder haven't even thought of. You're yeah, it's blindsided. Yeah. So getting it out there helps you get a signal for what actually, and you can't be too married to the idea that you had. And so like the idea that we had was to have this like fully separate business called Pernix because we didn't want our services business to be a technology business. Then with COVID, we realized actually 
we could lose our shirts on the other thing. We have to build something from scratch. We had customers on the partner-centric services side who could be real, you know, could be real users of the technology, but it wasn't a time to hit them up for money like we talked about. And, you know, let's make our, let's, let's not focus on just selling the technology as a standalone. Let's make it this value add to this current thing that we're doing, which might also inform how we do it. And we'll be able to charge more for that package in and of itself sure. than a standalone that we would have been able to do. So, so how do SaaS companies, because for, for those who haven't caught on yet, the, the partner centric is how you're able to, you know, grow your SaaS revenue without selling SaaS, right? So how does, how does partner centric work with technology companies in doing that? How do they grow their, their, their revenue using your software? I mean, obviously they can go to the website, which is on the ticker below, right? But for those who are listening, right? Um, those, those for who are listening, how can you explain it to them how it works? So a client of ours, it, they're, they're doing some kind of marketing. They're trying to get their, um, their products, their services out there to the, the consumer. And we really want to help them. And we're providing the technology that we're providing is sort of a conduit. It's sort of like to connect them with how they're going to pay out these partners. We want to make sure that, they're, every dollar they're spending is like a smart dollar. And so it ensures that they're paying out on the things that they care about. You know, there's so much like ad fraud and all these other things that go on in marketing today. And sure. we decided we wanted to create tools that allowed them to tune out the noise in the space, especially when it's so when money becomes so tight during COVID to to invest in a marketing channel where that investment not only gives them a high return, but what they're investing in the first place they know is going to conversions and traffic that is the kind that they want. Sure. That makes sense. And, and obviously there's some people on here who have, you know, brick and mortar, um, you know, obviously they're, they're, they're kind of stuck. Maybe they're stuck in a lease um, or whatever, whatever the case may be. So, and obviously they're searching for different revenue streams. So what would your advice be to them as far as, um, you know, growing that revenue? So, you know, we talked earlier, like you have to constantly pivot. And I think as any business owner, I have, I had for a while realized the more, even, even in the, the, the pandemic, there's still a great opportunity to talk to other people, maybe even more so than there was before because everyone's home. Right. And so you do these like video calls. I started reaching out to different um, folks I knew, not necessarily in my industry, but people who consult for various different kinds of verticals and industries, you know, your fractional CMOs and your, you know, uh, st- advisors, startup advisors and so on. And there's lots of those out there. Um, and just try to pick their brain. Like, what are you seeing working with other businesses that you've been talking to? What are some cool things that you've seen um, businesses invest in that have been working from like a marketing channel perspective? And then I also, you know, we're picking companies in my mind that were, <clears throat> excuse me, survivors and those that are thrivers and the thrivers are the ones where you know you really admire what they're doing and you want to follow in their footsteps from a marketing perspective but you may not have the budget 
and maybe they execute, you know, execution always wins and they are always the ones that get there before everyone else. Yep. But then I also look at like the survivors, those that have cash, but have been really hurt by what's been happening in the economy. Like what are, what are, I look at the signals in the marketplace. I look on Instagram, I look on LinkedIn, I look on their website, I look at their marketing. Like what have they been trying? Because right. people in that frame of mind are really trying lots of different unique things and have the budget to do so to see what will work for their business. Cause I think, a lot was sort of restarted with the pandemic. Yeah. And working at different angles. Right. So, yeah. um, and, and I, I feel the other issue is for certain industries and, and I think advertising is one of them. Cause, cause you're also an owner and, and CEO of an ad agency, correct? Yes. So for, for a lot of companies out there, leads are a very like cliche thing. Right. It's like, oh, we can get you leads. Right. But for those that that you have clients as clients with, like what have what have been some issues that they've that you've seen that they've reached out to you and talked to you about? Um, you know, maybe maybe it's a a SaaS based company, maybe it's another company. Because what I found is that it doesn't matter what industry that someone's in, a lot of people face the same issues, right? It, just different variations of them. So like, what are some, I guess, some core issues that those clients have been reaching out to you and, and, and I guess, um, as far as like leads and revenue and that sort of thing. Yeah. Um, and, and during that open access process that we went through with, with some of our like MDP tools, um, in the spring and summer, we asked a lot of, um, prospects and customers who were using those tools. Um, like what, like, I think this is sort of like the crux of the question, which is like, what's really keeping you up at night? Yeah. Um, that question, no matter the vertical or the age of the business or what stage they're in always like five levels down you go, why, 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 why? Right. Right. It's like, I am getting beat out by this person, that person, the other person, name the competitor, someone that's like in their rear view mirror and they feel, or in their, in front of them. And sure. that person always gets there, that business, that person always gets there before them, always doing it better, always, you know, waking up in the morning and saying like, why do I have to hear them on the news doing X, Y, and Z? And, and what that comes down to is like, I don't want to be caught flat footed. I don't want to beat out, be beat out anymore that is what keeps me up at night. I need growth and I need to be better than this other business. And even like businesses that are just starting out, they have a great idea that they're pre-revenue. They have that competitor in their mind. Like this person's doing everything I'm thinking about doing. And that's a problem. Right. Yeah, exactly. And what, what it all circles back around to is especially the ones who are pre-revenue is I mean, guerrilla marketing is is amazing. I think it has its place no matter what it is. I mean, that's why people hire salespeople, right? Um, I feel like the the whole guerrilla marketing aspect of it is is still a, a major a major player, especially in the lead gen and the um, you know in the revenue pieces of it as well, because obviously leads lead to appointments and appointments lead to to sales. So the I, and I don't think much is really going to change. I have a feeling that maybe it'll flip flop 
in a way, because what I mean by that is right now, like, uh, or, or a few years ago, um, it was all about cold calling. Then it was about cold emailing. Then it was about texting. But now people are like, even though texting is now the thing, obviously now it's like, well, maybe it'll flip back into phone calls. Maybe it'll, maybe it's like a cycle almost. Right. And, and so I guess fast forward five years from now, what is some advice to those clients that are struggling to get the leads, struggling to get the appointment, struggling to branch out if they're pre-revenue? Like what are some, what is some advice you'd give to them? The most inexpensive and impactful thing a business can do to stand out is just be really thoughtful. Um, and I say that as someone who also gets bombarded with outbounded stuff to me, like cold emails, cold LinkedIn invitations, cold phone calls, cold letters in the mail. Hey, I stopped by your office and your secretary said that you were, and it's like, I don't have one of those offices. So I know that, you know, I think, I think it's what's old is new again. And I know that that's not a new idea, but it is a fresh approach in a world in which everyone's trying to automate something and at scale to get attention because they want to hit a certain number and if you're a new business and, and you want to stand out from the noise, you know, I would pick, you know, a couple of accounts, a couple of types of businesses, a couple of types of individuals who you want as a customer, and then like research the heck out of those people yep. and then come up with something interesting to share with them. Sometimes even like, I don't want to say a gift in the mail, but sometimes even like some sort of like funny little something and say like, I saw this that you did, this was super cool come think of me. And that's like the top of mind idea is where, you know, even if I'm not in the market for a product or service that someone or a vendor that, that, that someone's pushing, but I see that they've put thought into who I am, what I care about, and they think they have a way to address that. I'm yeah. more likely to take that meeting because I appreciate them spending that time to get to know who I am. Yeah. So I used to work for ADP, the payroll company. I'm sure you get bombarded by those people if you're not already using them. Um, So we would do some crazy stuff. LinkedIn was one of them. And 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 it's amazing how this works, but it's also amazing how a few people do this. They're just trying to, you know, take their head that it, a brick wall with a door on it and they're just trying to run through that brick wall when all they really got to do is take a step over to the right turn the doorknob open the door and walk in right right and because there's there's an easier way it may take a little bit more effort than just you know ramming your head through the wall and trying to break break through but we would do some crazy like crazy crazy stuff like um crazy as in versus what everyone else is doing we would go in, uh, and this is before LinkedIn had actually, you know, put all these, you can't add more than like 10 people in an hour. So uh, I, I took a course on how to advertise or not advertise, but essentially be more known on, on LinkedIn. And one of the things was just, you know, adding the people who you wanted to talk to. And so one day I just did a Boolean search of nothing but like C-level, the whole C-suite. And I just clicked add. Add, 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 add. I went right. through like maybe like 200 pages worth. And uh, now I got like 5,600 people on my LinkedIn and it's nothing but the C-suite, right? So now when I'm going and reaching out to these people who I have no idea who they are, right? Like for example, I could probably go search you. Actually, I think I did do a little 
a little quick search on you. We have five mutual connections, right? Hey, hey. So, hey, right. So I would reach out to one of those, probably all five of those people and be like, Hey, I know we worked with each other at X, whatever, or we know a lot of the people in X, this, I'm trying to get a meet. I'm trying to get a meeting with Stephanie. How do you do that? Like, and just yeah. doing different angles of that. And then maybe they give you an inside approach like, oh, well, she likes poodles. There you go, right? Like that would be an end. Um, and so to your point, and I really like that quote, you should put it on a t-shirt, what's old is new again. Because yeah. it's true. Because the the personal the personal touch is is definitely missing. And when you put up a world-class salesperson and, and I know a lot of people are like, oh, I don't like being called a salesperson. I personally don't think it's a bad thing. Um, maybe it's because I am one. <laughs> but, <laughs> but you know, everyone's in sales in some way. But I feel like the more, re- like, remember, the person who's going to be remembered more is the person that will put that extra thought and that extra effort in. And even though it may not seem like a lot, it goes a long way for sure. I agree. And I think not only what's old is new again, but going the question about what five years from now, what businesses are able to do now, what pivots people need to make. When I was sharing this open access period and the mistakes I'd made previous to that, in a way, previous to that, I was trying to sell something cold. Sure. And with what I think the features and benefits are of that thing and putting that out there over and over again and instead learned a lot more and built a much more effective set of products that have much more traction and value now just from being more thoughtful with that customer and those potential customers of like, I don't want to tell you how I think you should use it. How would you use something like this? For sure. What, yeah. you, what do you need? Like what, forgetting what we do for you as an agency or what, the, what you think these tools are, like what are the biggest problems you're having right now? Yeah. Just letting people talk. But, but the thing is that I feel like you're a little bit, because there's always different personality types, right? And, and it's one of the things that I really like to, to dissect and like look into people and be like, you know, I'm not like a DISC professional by any means, right. but like, <laughs> but you know, it's like, I feel like you're more of like an analytical thinker. And so, for example, you'll be at home and you'll just be like, I don't know, watching the Mandalorian and you see baby Yoda. And then like that completely goes out the window. Cause you have like this break and you're like, Oh my God, this right. And then you just like spend all night working on it. And I feel that's underutilized as well because when, when you're CEO and you're trying to figure out, well, the higher in revenue mark that you get, the harder it is to essentially scale to that next level. 5% on $1,000 MRR is a different amount on 5% on 10 million MRR. And it's, it's a very different way of getting there. And thinking differently and using underutilized, um, different underutilized approaches to things, I feel is underutilized, right? Like, for example, I was a, uh, I was in the gym industry and we were trying to think of different ways to, to scale and grow, right? Different, you know, different ways to, to grow, um, our, our membership base. And there was just people at the front desk sitting there doing nothing. And we come to find out they had an employee ID number, which means they could get paid commissions. And so mm-hmm. we were like, well, why not employ them to sell? They make more money. And so that was one huge key thing that we did 
uh, that, that really set us apart was we included everyone who came in down to the janitor and, uh, and we just included even, even the instructors. So um, I think finally, like what role do you think employees and contractors and partners um, have in the search for new revenue channels? Um, great question. And number one, it's so funny that you brought up that example because you basically started an affiliate program for right. your employees right. as, as affiliates. Um, and that's a, and that's a great model. Um, obviously I'm preferential to that model. Um, I also, yep. for my, for my team and also like vendors and partners that I work with, one, one breakthrough that we had was it's not, hey, is there a business that you think we should work with? Or do you know someone at this business? Like people buy from other people. And it's really about like who as a person we're trying to attract. And so that became like every every individual that we come across has their own network, just like you have with your own LinkedIn network. And instead of saying like what businesses are you connected with or who do you know at this type of business, like who do you know who works like in this example with startup world like who do you know who's connected to other business owners or um you know decision makers at small young businesses who are looking to grow their revenue their marketing efforts like who might you know personally or professionally in your network and you get a lot more names and then those conversations turn into referrals it's not necessarily that they work at macy's or you know, Nordstrom or whoever that might be like your big whale right. as a business. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. That, that makes a lot of sense. So, um, yeah, I, well, I really appreciate you uh, coming on on the podcast today. I, I think this definitely was a thought provoking one. Um, and, and again, going back to uh, what you said earlier, one, be thoughtful. And two, what's old is new again. So with that, everyone, I, I leave you with uh, with that. Thank you again, Stephanie Harris, for, for coming you. on the podcast. And if you want to visit their website, you can see the clicker down, or what is it called? The ticker down below, <laughs> um, partnercentric.com. Go ahead and give uh-huh. them a, um, a view. So thank you again, and I will see everyone later. Thank you. You've been listening to the No Decaf Podcast. If you've enjoyed the show, please feel free to rate, subscribe, and review on your favorite podcast listening platform. We really appreciate that effort. Until next time.